purposes, is the idea that we are to believe, the idea that God created us to love him. We call that worship. And we talked about the idea that worship, loving God, is not just simply something we do on a Sunday. It's not something we do just simply when we're having a devotional time or reading our Bible or those kinds of things. The idea of worship, the idea of loving God is bringing God into every aspect of your life all day long. Um, whether it's just simply doing your job or driving down the road or um, cleaning up at the house or whatever, it's bringing God into that idea of realizing that um, he's involved in my life. Uh, last week, we talked about the second purpose, the idea that we were created for family. Not only do we love God, but we love uh, God's family. And we talked about this idea that <clears throat> that really involves the idea of belonging or fellowship. We have spent a lot of time this week <clears throat> talking in small groups and reading in a devotional the idea that uh, we're family. And as God's family, one of the things that we're to do is we're to love each other. When we, when we get together, we kind of put aside all of the stuff that normally separates people. So it's not about politics. It's not about who makes how much money. It's not about who, uh, who, uh, what job you have, whether you're an employer or an employee, whether you're white collar or blue collar. We put all that stuff aside. And we focus on the idea of being together as family, and we walk together in this thing called life, that we don't take life as a solo journey. We, we piggyback off of each other, and we help each other, and we encourage each other. And um, we've been talking about that in the small groups this week, and how that, that is so important um, for us as believers. And this morning, we're going to talk about third purpose, and the third idea is that of discipleship. Uh, now that's a big word, but we'll, we'll, we'll dive into what it all means in a minute. But it's basically the idea of how do you grow in a Christian life? Um, because one of your purposes that God has for us is for us to grow to become more like Jesus Christ in all that we do every day. So we want to talk a little bit this morning about this idea of discipleship or growth, or how do you grow um, as a Christian and what's involved in all of that. Um, so I want to lay down the foundation here, Genesis 1. We've gone back to that a lot in this purpose, in the purposes, because that lays a foundation for life. Here's what he says. God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So inherent in the idea that God created us is that we're made in the image of God. Paul, writing to Roman people, says this. We know God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his purpose, his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son. There's our purpose. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers or sisters. Uh, what's interesting is most of you know this passage. You've heard this passage before, but you need to understand a couple of things. God will take anything in your life and work it out together for good. But notice there's a statement on there that we often overlook. And this is a promise just for believers. This is a promise for people who are in God's family. He says to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God says, look, if you, if you follow me, you love me, first purpose, you love others as, um, as yourself, then the third idea here is that I will take everything and work good out of it. I can bring glory, I can be glorified in anything and everything, and I can work it out if you will trust me and if you will follow me. And if you'll stick with me in it. So one of the questions that we come down to is, so how does God work in our life? Uh, there, there's a couple of things. First of all, God uses his word. Um, that's one of the ways that God changes us. 
is he uses his word in our lives. So as we learn the Bible, as we hear more about the Bible, as you hear about things this morning in the Bible, you apply it. That's one of the things that God uses. A second thing God uses is the Holy Spirit. Um, what happens is something will be said, or you'll read something, or somebody will say something, or you'll hear something, and you'll apply it to your own life. That's, you know, I have people all the time, they come up and say, you know, you were talking to me this morning. It's like, you lived in my house all week. No, I didn't live in your house all week. What happened was, as I preached, the Holy Spirit worked in your heart, and God started ringing your doorbell. Oh, we don't have those anymore, do we? Um, I don't know. Uh, sending you a text. There we go. God started sending you a text, and he kept texting you until you answered. Um, that's what he's doing. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Uh, sometimes God uses people. He brings people in to say something or to encourage you or to, or to carry or, or to help you with something or maybe to, to, to confront you about something. And, and God uses people to help you grow in shame. Uh, the last thing God uses is circumstances. And I say that last because often we put that first. And it's important when, when you're trying to look at what God's doing and what God wants you to do, um, I, I think you do it in the order that I just talked about. You go to his word. You find out what he says. You be responsive to the Holy Spirit. You gather around you um, a multitude of counselors, people who are, who are godly people, who love the Lord, who want what's best for you. And then you look at the circumstances um, and, and, and to figure out what God is doing and how God is working. So the question we want to ask with this morning is, how do we grow? What's the process? What, what all is involved in, in growing as a Christian? Um, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, but before we do, I want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great faith chapter in the Bible. It's without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 is this list of people who served God and followed God and endured all kinds of things for God. And so Paul spent, or the writer of Hebrews, spends this entire chapter talking about all of these people with faith. Then he comes to chapter 12, and here's what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, talking about all those people in chapter 11, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects or, or matures our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, You've not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. Paul, or the writer here, gives us this big, long list of, of steps of a process in Christian growth. Um, the first thing that he talks about is, <clears throat> we talked about this last week, uh, this idea that you're not in it on your own. Uh, this idea that you have people who want you to succeed, who want you to grow. And you're going to have to depend on them some. Like he says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's a whole group of people who have run this race already and been faithful through everything in it. He says, look, you need to realize you also have people in your life now that want to help you run this race. They want you to do well. That's what you're seeing in your small groups. 
You're finding that as you talk about each other that some of their struggles are your struggles and some of your struggles are theirs, and you're starting to see that, you know what, we're kind of all in this thing together. That's my, you know, red-green famous quote, you know. Uh, you know, we're all in this together. And, and, and we are. It's that kind of mindset that I don't have to run this race on my own. Um, I have people who will run it with me, beside me. Um, I, I don't know a lot about running. Um, <laughs> I don't know a lot about running, especially some of these kids uh, who are running track. I did do track in high school once. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I look back on it, it probably wasn't the wisest thing in the world, but we, I was at school in Redford, Michigan. That is, that is the first suburb on the line with Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and this was back in the mid-70s. Uh, if you know your history, we came out of the uh, race riots in the late 60s. So in Detroit, this was a big thing. And we had a school of predominantly white kids. Uh, and we were right on that border between Detroit and Redford, Michigan. And our track coach for a warm-up had us run through the alleys in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> so here's the way this works, okay? I don't care how slow you are. And I don't care how you feel, you stay together as a group, uh, and you catch up. And so um, I tried to run track. My problem was I wasn't fast, uh, so I couldn't run the sprints, and I wasn't uh, a marathon person. So, you know, back then it was the 880, you know, so I, I, I ran a, a leg of that, and uh, I gave that up. Uh, uh, tennis was my sport in high school. Uh, and so, you know, but I, here's what I know. I know it was easy when you ran together. And as a group, we ran together, and we ran together a lot. And Paul says, or the writer says, I keep saying Paul because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, okay? Uh, we don't, but I think it was Paul. But anyway, uh, it's just habit. So the writer here, here's what he says. He says, look, you need to understand that there are people who want to run this with you. There are people who want to help you. And you have to be able to listen to them. You don't have to do this on your own. The second thing that he says, he talks about the idea, because we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Uh, here's what I do know about running. Here's what I do know is that uh, you try to get stuff as light as possible. Um, my wife and I love doing the national park thing in our next trip. Um, we're planning a trip here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be going to Zion National Park. And one of the things that happens is when you when we go on these trips, we do a lot of walking. And we do a lot of hiking. And we like to, you know, I'm, I'm banning my wife from reading the things anymore because she goes up. What happens is I'll pull it in the car and I'll say, hey, go read the thing. Find out how hard this trail is. And she'll be like, oh, it's just right up the hill. <laughs> you know, you go up, you know. 800 feet in elevation and, you know, a quarter of a mile, and we're exhausted at the top, and then you got these 80-year-olds come bouncing down the thing, and I'm looking at it going, you know, uh, we're barely making it up to the top of it. But so, so I, in fact, yesterday I downloaded all of the trail information on Zion National Park so I can pick which ones we go on. But uh, I love to do Angel's Landing, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know no. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, here's the idea. I, I know that what we go through is, uh, in the trip that we're planning, it's, we got to decide how much stuff to take. You know, how much water are you going to carry? Do we take the big camera or do we use our phones? 
Do we take two or three jackets? Do we layer up? Do you take your heavy jacket or your light jacket? Do you take your sunglasses? Do you take your hat? Do you take your gloves? Do you take, you know, because again, that time of year that we're going, it can fluctuate so much in, in just a couple of hours. And so you're trying to find this balance between having what you need, but not having more than you need. Does it make sense? This is what the writer's saying. In a Christian life, you have to declutter life. You have to figure out what you really need to do well in your Christian life and what you don't need. He's not saying those things are wrong. He's just saying you don't need them. So what you do is you figure out what can I put aside that I really don't need. There are a lot of things that you and I do, in all honesty, we don't need to be doing them. They're not wrong. They're just time consumers. Uh, There's nothing necessarily wrong with this idea. I think one of the greatest tools of Satan today is busyness. It just keeps us busy. And we run from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Then we come to the end of our life and we go, you know what, I probably should have spent more time with my friend. I probably should have invested. That's been the benefit. Look, look, be honest with yourself. Those of you that are in small groups, been a good thing or a bad thing? Been a good thing. But wait a minute. In order to do that, you had to say no to a lot of other stuff. You had to block out that hour. You had to block out that time period in order to be able to meet. You're benefiting from it, and you're saying, man, this is what I should have been doing all along. But you've been too busy to make it a priority until we did this as a, as a church deal. Um, look, you're getting ready, those of you who do gardens, you're getting ready to do this, aren't you? You look at the space that you have, and you go, this is what we're going to plant. Do you realize that as you choose what to plant, you're also choosing what you don't want in your garden? Have you ever thought of it that way? Why don't you just go into the, the, the rack, you've seen them, and say, I want one or everything. We're going to plant a little bit of everything. You go, that would be insane. You wouldn't be able to keep up with it. I want one of everything for my life. I'm going to get involved in this and 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 this. I wonder why I'm exhausted and I can't keep up. I mean, you're getting ready to garden and you're going to go, I want this, I don't want that. You will, you will, you will look all day long and never find okra in my garden. I'll never forget my dad we, we, when we were in uh, Illinois. Uh, we were in Naperville, Illinois, and we bought, uh, we bought, back then the subdivision we moved into had houses on half-acre lots. And so we never had that much area, and so it was a half-acre lot. And there, so my dad decided, let's plant a garden. Now, he'd never done a garden. But my dad was the same way I am. If a little is good, a lot is better. So he decided that we were going to graze a lot of tomatoes. And he found them on sale, and he decided to plant them about a foot apart in three-foot rows. When that thing took off, and, and he got a lot of cherry tomatoes, by the way. That was the other mistake he made. We couldn't even get in there to get them. We had to go in with, with corn knives and hack paths through the garden just to even get to them. It was just way too much. 
way too much. And, and this is what's happening for a lot of you. One of the reasons you're struggling in your Christian growth, you're not carving out time for your spiritual walk. You're not carving out time for other people. You, you, church gets pushed to the side. All, I mean, you're not here today. I'm, I'm thrilled for that. But it's so easy to let your busyness start pushing all of these things that are good for you to run the race away. And so one of the things Paul said is, or Paul wrote it for today. Uh, one of the things that he says is, Lay aside every weight and the sin. There's some things that are wrong for you to do, so get rid of those too. And let us run. So he talks about this idea of run, and he says, with patience. Um, it's a long haul kind of thing. We're in an instant world. We, we, we like a fast-paced thing, and we want everything now, and so we don't like waiting for things. The writer says, look. The Christian journey is a long-haul, marathon kind of race. Can you imagine me this going and getting my tomato plants this year? And I get, so the first day I get them in the ground, and I mulch them, and I fertilize them, and I water them, and I've got them all nice there. And I go out and I do that every day. I make sure there's no weeds coming up and everything else. And at the end of the week, I call Greg up and say, look, your plants are duds. I've had them for a whole week, and I've got no tomatoes. I've watered them. I've fertilized them. I've taken care of them. I've planted them the right way. i got nothing. You go, that would be crazy. Didn't you read the tag? It tells you how many days to maturity. No, I want them this week. I don't want to go to the grocery store and buy tomatoes. I bought a tomato plant from you. I should have tomatoes by the end of the week. You go, that's insane. Look, look. It's the same way with Christian growth. Some of you, you come into church and you see these people who have been Christians 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you see how it looks like they have kind of their, their, their act together and they figure stuff out, and you go, I, how come I'm not there? You're not there because you don't have 20, 30, 40 years. Just like that plant is not going to give me tomatoes at the end of the week. If it's a 54-day till maturity thing, then I'm, I'm going to get those tomatoes afterwards as long as I take care of it and do what I need to do. It's the same way with Christian growth. If you keep plugging away at it, you keep doing what you it will start to come. And then he talks about the idea. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, that, that's the thing. You, you have to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, not on everybody else. You don't focus on what everybody else is saying or, or what everybody else... It's, it's your idea of living, as I see it, an audience of one. At the end of the day, I want to say, has God been pleased with my life today? As a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, um, if I went out and worked in the garden as a gardener, if I've got an employee, an employee, an employer, whatever, the, was God pleased with the way I'd shop today? Oh, man, I hate it when these illustrations come to my head. Was God pleased with the way I drove today? We roll it into every area of our life. What does Jesus think? What, is he honored and pleased with what I've done today? That's how we grow. Um, and, he, you know, just like in, I remember when we were on a track, when we would go around, we would look at the coach who would give us our time that let us know whether we needed to speed up or if we were behind in our, in, in our times or we were always looking at the clock. Now they have, they have clocks and you can watch. We were always looking at that clock to be able to pace ourselves, to, to, to be able to make it. 
And that's kind of the idea. He says, look, you've got to keep your focus on, on Jesus and on what's important. He said, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of faith. And he goes on to talk about the idea of, of, of what he endured. You know, we get this idea that when I become a Christian, everything's just going to drop into place. Well, I want to sign up for that. That's not the way it is. You read that list in Hebrews chapter 11. Those people went through a lot. You look at people who have faithfully served God. There's some scars and some wounds and some tough, tough battles. Um, you're going to learn about that this week as you read the book, as you do in a small group. You're going to, he's going to talk about how one of the primary things God does in your life is he brings um, testing. And he brings some difficulties, and he brings some hardship. Because ultimately, God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. So you're going to go through some deep waters. And we have people here who have walked through some really deep waters. And God has used it in their life, and they have honored him, and they have glorified him, and there's other people that have been impacted by it. Because God was interested in his glory and, and, and their character to deepen their faith with it. The other thing that he talks about is the idea of when Jesus is here, he, we're going to talk about this in, at Easter, but his focus becomes the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. And he endures people who lie about him. He endures disciples who fled from him. He endures uh, the shame and the humiliation of the cross. Now, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, but he had to go through a lot to get to there. And one of the things that he talks about is this idea, Paul says this in Philippians, he says this way, I'm certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. God's not going to give up on you. He's got too much invested. He's going to keep plugging away at your life to get you to be what he wants you to be. But you're the one who can stop it. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. Just at the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If I keep taking care of that plant and I keep watching it, and when bugs come, I take care of the bugs, and when weeds come, I pull the weeds, and I babysit that and I watch that. You know, here's what happens. I, I don't know. Some of you are really good gardeners. I'm not. I start out really well, but there comes a point at which it's like, I don't want to go pull weeds. And, and that weed's too hard to get to. Um, and the next thing I know, uh, you know, I got weeds in there, and then you're pulling those out. And, and you know how it goes, especially at the end of the season? When you're like, take it. You know, take it. You know, I just want to be able to go in with a mower and mow it all down. <clears throat> um, you, you know how you get to that point? And, and it's so easy to get there. And, and what Paul says is, he says, look, in a Christian life, you keep plugging away at it all the way to the end. God's not going to give up on you, but you can't give up either. You've got to keep going and keep going and keep going. and Kind of like that Energizer bunny rabbit thing. You just keep plugging away at it over and you go, you know, you get knocked down, you bounce back up. And you keep going and going and going so that at the end of it, you're well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, 
You hung in there all the way to the end, no matter what. That's what God wants of us. Um, and, and so many times, like I say, we play this game where we start comparing our growth to somebody else's growth. Look, that, Paul says it this way. They that compare themselves by themselves are not wise. That's a nice way of saying that's a dumb thing to do. Could you think about it for a minute? When you compare yourself to somebody, who do you compare yourself to? People who are better or people who are worse? People who are worse off, you get pride. Um, people who are better off than you, you start, you start getting all gripey and grumbly about everything in life. It's a lose-lose. You know, audience of one. Audience of one. It's very interesting when you study the life of Christianity and the early Christians in particular. You have to understand they were in a Greek-Roman world. And in that Greek-Roman world, it was a polytheistic world. It was a world of many gods. They had a god for everything. The god of fire, the god of, the god of, of rain, the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of the harvest, um, um, the god of medicine. They had all these gods. And all these gods were in competition with each other. So Jesus steps in, and then you have the Jewish people, this little subset over here, and they're they're going, there's only one God. There's only one God. So they were just kind of pushed off to the side in that culture. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he was born in this group. But he comes in, and he goes, you need to understand, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my... He actually stands up and says this in the original language. Here's what it means. I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. No one comes to the Father but... He basically is making a claim that I am bigger than all of those gods together, and you don't need all of those gods. You need one, and that's me. And when people started following Jesus, they didn't know what to call him because they weren't Jews. And they weren't polytheistic. So they looked at them and they started calling them the people of the way. And the early Christians were known as people of the way. That's what they called them. When we get to the book of Acts and we start getting a group, larger groups of them together, when we get to the town of Antioch, they, 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 they looked at these odd people of the way. And they didn't know what else to call them, so they started looking at them and saying, you guys are just like little Christs, Christian. The first time they're called Christian is in, in Antioch there, in, in the book of Acts. And it wasn't a term of, oh, you're a Christian. No, it was a term to make fun of them and mock them. Oh, you're like, you're like little Jesus people. And so that's how the term Christian, now we look at it as, yeah, I'm a Christian. And we say it with pride, but nobody said it with pride when it first started out. That was, a, that was a mockery term in the beginning. So you have this group, these people of the way, and this group of Christians, people who are like little bitty Christs running around. And one of the things that's interesting is that in this culture, particularly in the Jewish world, there were teachers of the law that, that they really knew their scriptures. I mean, they, they had studied it, memorized it, and... They, they had studied and wrote, uh, know what other people wrote, and, and it was just kind of this wealth of spiritual knowledge. And they, they were known as rabbis. And some rabbis were more important than others. So the idea was you wanted to follow like the best rabbi, but the rabbi was pretty particular on who he would choose to follow him. 
So the rabbis would pick very carefully who they got to follow. And if you got to follow a rabbi, if you got to be a disciple, if you will, of a rabbi, that was a big deal. Um, just the fact that they called Jesus a rabbi is a huge deal because they're acknowledging there's some spiritual depth there, um, even though he hadn't gone through their system. So you see this idea of rabbi, but there's an interesting statement that was often said of people who followed a rabbi. Because the idea with following a rabbi was this. You did everything the rabbi did. So if the rabbi was eating lunch, you ate lunch. If the rabbi was sitting and praying, you were sitting and praying. If the rabbi was walking, you were walking. If the rabbi was was talking, you were listening, and you were trying to pick up. And then as you would walk away from that conversation, you'd question the rabbi, and you'd say, what about this, what about this, what about this? And you'd learn everything you could for the rabbi, because the hope was this. The hope was that when that rabbi died, you'd take his place. That was, that was the idea of following a rabbi. And there was a saying um, at this time, and it, it, was a, it was a blessing, and here's what it said. They would come to a disciple of a rabbi, and they would say, may you walk in the dust of the rabbi. You see, in that culture, you either had sandals or you were barefoot, and it was really dusty. And those of you who live on a gravel road know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't care how many times I clean my motorcycle. And I don't care how slow I go, it gets dust on it. For right, I'm a quarter mile of, of gravel, and I get dust on it. Because no matter how slow I go, it just kicks up just enough dust for me to have to get out the little California Wonder thing and do that. My wife's nuts about stuff like that on her car, so um, we have those little California Wonder dusters everywhere uh, in all of our cars and vehicles. And because anyway, so it's easy to get dust on. It was easy in that culture, everywhere you walked to get dust on your feet, uh, dirt on your feet. That's why uh, foot washing was such a big deal uh, in, in the Bible time. And that was the most humbling thing you could do to a person is wash their feet. And so anyway, so the idea was, and this is the concept, that as the rabbi walked, dust would kick up from his feet. And I was walking so close to the rabbi that the dust fell on my feet. It's the idea that I stayed that close to the rabbi. You see, everybody couldn't do that, only a special few. And the, the more they worked their way up, the closer they could be to the rabbi. And if you were one who, who the dust of the rabbi fell on your feet, that meant you were really, really, really super close. It was the idea of a disciple. It was the idea of a follower. So let's put some of this together for us. The idea for me as a Christian. One of the purposes is for me to grow. One of the purposes in my life is to walk close to my rabbi. One of the purposes is for me to watch and learn what he did and how he did it, and then to go out and implement that in my life. That's discipleship. That's growth. I'm running this race not to compare myself to everybody else. You just need to compare yourself to yourself. The question is this, are you closer to Jesus than you were this time last year? Are you closer this month than you were last month? Are you closer today than you were last week? That's what you're asking yourself. That's growth. Um, You know as well as I do, the whole plant process is a slow process of there are certain phases of it, and sometimes it goes 
bigger than others, and sometimes it's slower, and it's just this mismatch of, of growth in order to produce fruit, but ultimately the goal is to produce fruit. So ultimately you start to see things in your life like little things like, I don't have the quick temper that I used to have. It's growth. My language is not quite as rough as it used to be. It's growth. You know, I used to be really mad and unforgiving, but I kind of just figured out that I'm just going to let that go. It's growth. You know what? I'm going to be a little more generous with my time. It's growth. See, it's a slow process of, of just keep plugging away and keep working on your life and keep allowing things in your life to be more like Christ in those areas as God brings them up in your life. So hopefully then you come to the end of your journey and you're able to see all of this little growth here and there. You know, and just like any plant, sometimes it goes through a stressful period. It doesn't, you know, it takes a little while to get it fixed back in line. That's the same thing with your life. And some of you are, you know, because I'm a little frustrated because some of you, you're growing, but you don't see it. And you don't realize what God's done in your life. And you haven't taken the inventory to stop and say, okay, where was I five years ago? Um, it's those little things. And for some of you, you know, it's, that, it's this idea of you just want to give up because it's too hard. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep plugging away at it. Because ultimately what God wants for each of us is to be more like him. We call it discipleship. We call it Christian growth. And the prayer for me, for my own life, for my family, for my church, for all of this, is that we all will be closer to God today than we were last week, last month, last year. Only monumental growth, sometimes you have that. But it's, it's that idea of just working towards it and following in the footsteps of Jesus. And my question, I guess, for you is that are you going to follow in the dust of the rabbi this week? Are you going to run your life your way with your stuff? Are you going to do the kinds of things that he talks about? Because that's the challenge for it. So this morning I end with this. You are created to grow in Christ, to become like Christ. Discipleship is learning to walk in a way that reflects Christ in everything that we do. God focuses on our character, his glory, not our comfort. His goal is for people to see Christ in our life. So this week, God's going to use trials, troubles, temptation, difficulties. So you can grow. It comes down to our response. So it's my prayer that we each, as we face that stuff this week, walk in the dust of our rabbi. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's, it, it's easy to forget this stuff. Lord, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to want to quit. It's easy to want to give up because things aren't happening fast enough. But Lord, will you work in our lives? As we come up against things this week and we have a tendency, Lord, to wonder what's happening or why is it happening or all of that, Lord, may we simply look to you to trust you, to focus on you,
and allow you to use whatever circumstance, situation we're up against to grow us. And ultimately, Lord, as we walk back in here next week, may we be able to look back on a week and see that, Lord, there's areas that we grew, areas that we struggled, areas that we still have to grow, so that we can become the people that you have designed and want us to be. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's